Praise the Lord. Happy are those who fear the Lord, who greatly delight in his commandments. Their descendants will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. They rise in the darkness as a light for the upright. They are gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with those who deal generously and lend, who conduct their affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. They will be remembered forever. They are not afraid of evil tidings. Their hearts are firm, secure in the Lord. Their hearts are steady. They will not be afraid. And in the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have distributed freely and have given to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn is exalted in honor. The wicked see it and are angry. They gnash their teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked comes to nothing. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Extravagant God, send your Holy Spirit to dwell within us so that we may have the strength of purpose to live out your calling this day and every day. Let the words of your scripture and the teaching of your son Jesus be a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Today's scripture reading is from the fifth chapter of Matthew's Gospel. It's part of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, we don't really know if Jesus said all of this sermon at one time or whether this was Matthew's collection of a variety of things that he heard Jesus say over the years and years that he walked with Jesus. Now, you remember last Sunday I read the first part of that sermon called the Beatitudes. You remember it's usually blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. But I read you a version that said God blesses those who and so on, the various Beatitudes. Today's passage tells us more about being disciples of Jesus. So listen now for God's word for us in the fifth chapter of Matthew, beginning at the 13th verse, as Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh Lord, may my words and may our thoughts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, let us consider the eight verses we just read in two four-verse sections. First, Jesus uses two images, salt and light. And then in the next four verses, he talks about whether that Old Testament law is obsolete. But first, one hot, sticky August Saturday, years ago, Betty and I went to one of those craft shows, you know, where they close off all the downtown streets, in this case in Cary, so that you walk a long, long way back and back. And the way back can be a lot longer, especially if you bought something bulky and fragile and heavy, you know, like, like a pottery lamp. Now, it was a pretty lamp that we bought that day, but it had one problem. The shade was made of a dark, rough fabric that looked a lot like burlap. Actually, what I said was it looked like a croaker sack, but Betty informed me. She taught me in North Carolina, y'all don't say croaker sack, you say burlap bag. <laughs> South Georgia, we did it different. Well, anyway, no matter what you call it, it was very, very dark in it out, allowed out not much light at all. It was, it was often hard to tell if that lamp were really on or not. Well, that shade was put out of our misery. Otherwise, I'd bring it in today and show you, you know, but it's gone long ago. Replaced with a white fabric shade that fills, in this case, Sarah's room with diffused light. Now, you probably figured out that what made me think about that light's original lousy shade was what Jesus said. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all the house. And earlier Jesus had said that we are his disciples, we are the light of the world. Then he adds that a city built on a hill can't be hid. I don't, I don't know much about hiding cities on, or hiding lights under a bushel or putting cities up on a hill, but I can tell you something about making sure that you're visible when you're doing something. If you have uh, kept up with me on Facebook lately, you know that Paul III and Sarah and I have been doing a whole lot of bike riding. I did a lot of riding in my youth, and, and I have the scars to prove it. <laughs> but we hadn't done that for a long time. Well, you know, I have seen the scary bike accident news reports. And some of you, I won't call Ronnie by name, some of you, <laughs> some of you told me scary, more scary, more recent stories. So I do my best to be sure that nobody's gonna run over me because they didn't see me. I'll show you. Unlike in my childhood, I wear something to protect my noggin these days, and it has it has a little red flashing light. At least they tell me. I don't see red, so that's not much of a light to me, but they tell me it's 
And I do a few other things there. On the front side, I have a little LED light here. So you can see me coming at you. Well, I'm a little more concerned, and, and for that matter, I'm a little more concerned about behind me. Now, there's another front light, but that'll flash for you. But, but behind me, I have a multi-flashing light there. And then, just for, just for fun, I have another one that if it'll, it's a little crankier light. Here we go. There you go. Now I put that on the top of my pants or the back of my shirt or something. So you see, I do my best to make sure. Now they could still run over me, but they can't say, the man didn't even have a light on. <laughs> I would have brought that, I have a safety yellow uh, t-shirt I wear when, we, when it's warmer than yesterday at least. Now they won't go off. <laughs> I would have brought that safety yellow t-shirt, but Betty said, you'll blind them with that thing. <laughs> this is bad enough, right? Mr. Paul, do people pull over when you're coming? <laughs> <laughs> no, but they, they do honk the horns a lot. <laughs> I can tell you what now, we, do, we move along. Sometimes the fastest Paul and I have gone on a bicycle is 33 miles an hour. But we don't usually do that bad. <laughs> we average more like eight miles an hour, I think, something like that. So, the helmet flashes red, the back light flashes red, the pants flash several colors, <laughs> like a Christmas tree, right? I got a beacon blinking. Oh, there we go. Uh, it could really blink now. <laughs> I know. This, it's good. So the driver that hits me is going to say, oh, I had a seizure because of that flashlight. <laughs> well, now none of the, you think about it, none of these lights actually show me. They don't put a light on me. They put a light out and say, watch out. Don't run over this fellow. He's old. <laughs> He's fragile. <laughs> They do, they do show what I'm doing and they show where I'm going. And that, that's what Jesus says we're supposed to do. Let your light shine before others so that they see your, not you, they see your good works and give glory, not to you, but to God your Father in heaven. Well, in these first two verses we read, Jesus gave us two versions of a discipleship challenge, right? Be salt, be light. He challenged us to become the salt of the world, become the light for the world, right? No, he did not. Jesus said, you are the salt. You are the light of the world. And later on, well, not later on, we get it. You're not the salt and light later on when you get to be, you know, better Christians. You've got to be better at it. Not later on someday when you 
feel like, oh, I'm ready to be salt and light now and take on the challenge. Not eventually when you get around to it, but now, right now. Now, lots of people have wondered about what Jesus said about salt losing its saltiness. You are the salt of the world, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? No longer, it's no longer good for anything and it's thrown out. Everything I've ever read or heard, talked to any scientist about, anybody who's taking chemistry, said that salt, sodium chloride, NaCl, it doesn't lose its saltiness. It does not happen. So maybe Jesus was telling us in a different way that we are the salt and we are the light. We're his disciples. And you can't cop out by saying, oh, I'm just not up for it. I'm just not good enough. I got too many shortcomings. You know, I have a bad record. You don't know my past. You don't know my secret sins. No, Jesus said, you are salt of the earth, light of the world, and let your light shine before others. Well, then the, the next four verses, 17 through 20, they tell us whether we can just forget about all that Old Testament stuff. The short answer, unfortunately, is nope. In the passage after this, Jesus will reinterpret some of those laws, but, you know, that's for next week's sermon, right? In the 17th verse, he clearly said, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. And the, the last two verses of our scripture reading, they use a couple of old-fashioned kind of words, commandments and righteousness. Now, my old friend Walter Brueggemann commented that such terms as righteousness and commandments, they smack of rigorous requirements and, and ours, ours is a society that resents and resists such requirements. You've often heard me say that righteousness, righteous is a word that's gotten a kind of a bad reputation in our time because it often hangs out with a, a particular four-letter word, self, as in self-righteous. Who wants that? But righteous is not a matter of acting like you think you're so much better than everybody else. Righteous means having a right relationship with God and with God's children. Now back at the beginning of the service when Johnny read us the 112th Psalm, did you hear what the Psalm said about people who are righteous? I'll remind you. They are gracious and merciful. They deal generously. They lend. They conduct their affairs with justice. They have generously given to the poor. The righteous are not afraid of bad news because their hearts are firm, secure in the Lord. Now Brueggemann says that these righteous people are the kind of people who are attentive to need around them. They make a difference. They're the ones we call in time of need. They're the ones we call in an emergency. They're the ones that keep their cool and enact a restorative buoyancy in the neighborhood. You know, sometimes I start a sermon with a question and sometimes I end with one, so let me ask you a question. Where is your lamp? Thanks be to God.
Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God. For you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now may God bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.